0: Paul's letter to the Colossians. It was written during one of Paul the Apostles' many imprisonments for announcing Jesus as the risen Lord. And the letter is addressed to a group of people that Paul had never met who made up a church community that he didn't start. This church in Colossae was started by a co-worker of Paul's named Epaphras, who was actually from that city. And Epaphras had recently visited Paul in prison, and he updated him on how well the Colossians were doing overall. But he also mentioned some of the cultural pressures, tempting them to turn away from Jesus. And so Paul wrote this letter to encourage the Colossians to address the issues that Epaphras had raised, and then to challenge them to a greater devotion to Jesus. The letter's design and flow of thought are pretty easy to follow. The opening movement focuses on Jesus as the exalted Messiah. Paul then goes on to show how his suffering in prison is for the exalted Jesus. And then he addresses the pressures tempting the Colossians to turn away from Jesus. After this, he explores the new way of life that Jesus' resurrection opened up for them. So the letter opens with two prayers. Paul first thanks God that he learned from Epaphras that the Colossians have been totally faithful to Jesus, showing love for God and their neighbors, all because of the hope they have in the new creation that Jesus has in store. And so he moves on to pray that they would grow in their wisdom and understanding about Jesus. And then Paul has placed a poem here to help the Colossians and us do exactly that. It's the centerpiece of chapter 1, a poem all about the crucified and exalted Messiah. It has two parallel stanzas and it's crammed with language and imagery from the books of Genesis and Exodus from the Psalms and the Proverbs. The first stanza explores how Jesus is the true image of God. In him, the full character and purpose of God is embodied in a human. He's the firstborn, an Old Testament phrase about Jesus' royal status over all creation. He shares in the very identity of the one true creator God. And by him, all reality, all powers and authorities, spiritual and human, have been created. It's in Jesus the Messiah that we discover the very author and king of creation. And so, in the second stanza, we discover he's also the one bringing about a new creation. He's the head of a new body, which refers to Jesus' people, who are the new humanity, of which his own resurrection existence is a prototype. In him, God's glorious temple presence dwells, and so it's through Jesus' death and resurrection that God has reconciled himself to humanity, to all spiritual powers, to all of creation. It's a remarkable poem, and Paul will keep referring back to it as he goes on in the letter.
1: Good morning. We cut that short on you. That wasn't very nice of us, was it? It's, uh, that's about a quarter of that uh, video explaining uh, the book of Colossians. Good. It's kind of neat, eh? We'll, uh, we'll share the rest of that as the series goes along, but we had to cut it off there just as an introduction, and that material is from the Bible pro- or BibleProject.com. BibleProject.com is where you can go to get more of that, and um, it's, good. it's good to see you. It's good to see anyone, actually, but it's great to see you. I haven't been here since January the 2nd. I haven't preached since January the 2nd, so uh, I wore out most of my voice in the first service, and I've got my, my water here to get me through this one. And hello to everybody who's watching online, great to see you this morning, we're glad that you're with us, and uh, it is really, really, really good to be here. Um, my wife made me go south, and uh, I, I really didn't want to go to those warm places with all those palm trees and warm and it was really warm, and it was warm. and uh, But here I am. We made it down there. We made it back, and we're doing good. I, I have to stop bragging, though, about how little snow that Graham and Ann typically gets. Like, we, the, Graham and Ann's gotten, for them, a lot of snow uh, this year. We've, we've got about a third of what you have. But for Graham and Ann, it's a lot of snow. And uh, so I've got to shut up about that. Um, and I hope you're all doing well. So we're we're obviously kicking off a brand new series today in the book of Colossians. It is a short book, only four letters. You can read it this afternoon, but it is a loaded book. It is jam packed. Colossians is is jam packed the way that our van gets jam packed by my wife after we've been in America for three weeks. You know, uh, like every possible. Uh, Space and that'd be just jammed tight. Well, this is what Paul does with Colossians, he's just got it jammed full. And so, we're going to take our time in this little book. Uh, we're going to be in here for many weeks, probably up t- till Easter. We'll probably use this, leaving us all the way to Easter. We're going to do this uh, by crock pot instead of microwave and just going to slow cook Colossians here for several weeks. In a row, and we want to see what was God saying to Paul into into this church, and what is God saying to us now. So, as you saw in the uh, opening video, Paul's in prison again for preaching the resurrection of Jesus. It's probably uh, in the mid fifties, uh, not the nineteen fifties, but the original fifties when he writes this letter. Um. The church of Colossae is in what we would call modern-day Turkey. It's in southern southern Turkey is where it is. And Paul writes in this letter of encouragement. This is like getting a a pick-me-up from someone who you look up to, somebody who you respect, who is thinking of you, and they write you a letter, even if it's somebody who you haven't met. And you get this letter, and you're like, this. This means a lot. Like, this is cool that that person would think of me and would write such a a word of encouragement to pick me up. It means a lot, yes? Do something. Nod your heads while I take a drink. So Paul is uh, encouraging them to not lose heart. Don't give up. Don't give in. Focus on who Jesus is and what God has done. So Epaphras has told uh, them, the church, all about Paul. And he's told Paul all about them. And uh, they know that Paul is in prison for preaching the resurrection of Jesus. And there's just something about hearing from someone who's... You know how it is when, like, if somebody doesn't know what you're going through, and they say, you know, I'm sorry, but they don't, they don't understand but if somebody else has been through the meat grinder of life, and you know that they they've experienced this or much worse, and they say that they that they they understand, it seems to have a different a different weight to it. And so, they're getting this word from a guy who's in prison. And uh, there's something about that. There's, there's a resiliency that they pick up from Paul, this, this attitude like, yeah, okay, if Paul can do it, we can do it. We are not going to, to give up. So we're going to read the first two verses, and then a little later on, we'll read verses three, four, and five. But just to begin with verses one and two, this letter is from Paul. Chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. So. I mentioned we're going to do this by Crock-Pot. So let's just slow it right down and take a closer look here at Paul's greeting. They would have been reading this letter when Epaphras gets home. I mean, the ink is still wet by the time he gets back to uh, Colossae and says, Hey, everybody, gather around. I've got this, I've got this brand new letter from, from Paul. And there's a, there's a wait uh, to Paul's name and a weight to his words not an authoritative weight but as but a as a brother in Christ as someone who has experienced suffering there's that kind of a a weight to it Paul was a Jew who hated Jesus and then he met Jesus and his life was radically transformed by Jesus and then he just gives the rest of his life regardless of what happens to him physically he he's just sold out for Jesus and so, the fire of Paul's passion for Jesus has blazed its way back to this young church in Colossae because of Epaphras. They've never met him, but Epaphras is telling them about about who Paul is and what God has done in his life. Um, you know, it's good to know or be around somebody who has a fire for Jesus. Do you, do you have people like that in your life? Like, if you don't, you get you got to get around some fire. You know. I like guess 16 out there, right? Like you got to, you, and spiritually speaking, there are times in my life when, when I get, I get kind of a, a spiritual chill. It's just, it's just kind of, I don't know, like I just need to be around someone else who's, who's fired up for Jesus. And usually for me, that person is Pierre Richard, right? Maybe it is for everybody else in this room too. And you just feel like, you know, if I could just get around Pierre for a minute, you know, if I could just have him breathe some fire on me. And I don't know how many times that that uh, I, I'll get a message from Pierre, and it just, I just, I'm ready to charge hell with a, with a squirt gun. Like, I'm just, like... You know, like, get me back in there. I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. Like, I just get fired up when I'm around Pierre. And I think there's a, there's a fire in Paul that blazes his way back to this little church in Colossae that, that, that fuels them and encourages them. And they're like, okay, if, if this guy can do it, we can do it. Um, notice the clarity of Paul's calling. When Paul uh, writes... His, his opening line to this letter. He says, I'm Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle for Christ Jesus. He knows his purpose in, in life. Um, he knows who he is in Jesus. And I want us to see something here right at the beginning of this, of this letter. When Epaphras, who is the pastor of this little church, when he can tell that his congregation is is struggling and they're 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 under these pressures and they need something, he doesn't go to someone whose whose life is fantastically, terrifically better. He goes to someone who's in a worse situation than his congregation is in. And I find that interesting. Like I'm gonna go to some dude who's who's in prison. For preaching about Jesus, and I'm going to get a letter of encouragement from that guy, and I'm going to bring it back to them. Like I just, there's there's something in that that I find interesting. Like, hey, everybody, um, let's let's read this letter from Paul. Like, like maybe maybe you too can end up in prison like Paul. Like maybe you can be you know persecuted for your faith. Maybe we'll die for serving this Jesus, and and he uses this as a letter of encouragement. Um uh, so Colossians does, is not written from a place of unicorns and rainbows, right? It's, it's chains and bondage and whatever incarceration looked like in the very first century. I'm sure it wasn't the Hilton, right? Like I'm sure it was brutal. And this is where that, that letter comes from. It comes from real life. It comes from, I'm going to serve Jesus no matter what. No matter how bad it gets, no matter how long the pandemic lasts, hello, I'm going to serve Jesus no matter what is where this letter of Colossians is is written from as a letter of encouragement. And it's a reminder to me to not gauge the condition of my salvation based on my situation, which I tend to do. I tend to, when when things aren't going good or they're not going the way that I think they should be going, I kind of wonder if there's something wrong with me spiritually. Maybe it's something that I'm doing. You've never done that before? I'm the only one in this room who's ever done that? You've done that? And and it, it's a reminder that your situation is is not... Um, let me say it this way who I am becoming is more important than what I am enduring so focus on who God is and what God is doing in your life your situation is temporary your salvation is eternal and who I am becoming you know what What God is teaching me in that situation, what I'm learning in that situation, how I'm becoming more like Jesus. That's more important than whatever I'm going through and whatever the situation is around me. Can you imagine the excitement Epaphras would have had in in, in getting this letter? and getting his little church together and reading this to them for the very first time. And this letter would have been like a flood that lifted the spirits of of everyone, that, that lifts them above the pressures of life and the noise and the distractions. And it just refocuses their attention on who Jesus is. Is it coincidence that in February... 2012 uh, 2022 i'm 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 back a decade 2022 is it coincidence that we would be sitting here in this little church on the hill behind the mill in the ville, and that we would maybe maybe this morning this is exactly what we need that we we need to receive this letter of colossians the same way that Epaphras and his church received it, that God would remind us of who he is, that he's still God. And there are a lot of pressures of life and there's stuff happening and and life is life and all of that. And it's winter and it's cold and we're in a pandemic, but that we would choose together as a congregation to put our focus on Jesus and that we we would remember that who I am becoming is more important than what I am enduring. I think God is in this. When I said that in this first service, they went wild. They were running around the church. It was, it was pandemonium for about 10 minutes. Um, you don't believe me, do you? Okay. Another, uh, Paul mentions Timothy. Timothy is Paul's associate. And it's not likely that Timothy ever visited Colossae either, but he would have known Epaphras from Epaphras visiting Paul in prison. And a little known fact, we don't talk about this much, but next to the name Jesus, Timothy is the most beautiful name in all of scripture. Did you know that? I know, we don't talk about that very much. It's one of those little known things. See, you come to church and you learn things you didn't know before. Verse 2. Paul says we, he's probably talking about himself and Timothy, we are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae or Colossus, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. When Paul, based on what he knows about them and what he's heard about them, when he's writing this letter, he refers to them as holy and faithful. How do you want to be remembered? What do you want people to say about you? When people talk about you, people get to know you and they refer to you. Paul refers to them as holy and faithful. I've sat with a lot of families as we've prepared for funeral services and I've, and I've tried to get the family to, you know, help me understand your loved one a little better. Give me some words so that when I get up and do this service, I want, I want to represent them well and I want you to feel like that I've served you well as a, as a pastor. And I, you won't believe how many times I get blank stares. And people just don't know how to, what to say. And they'll say, well, he liked his cat. Like, okay, um, she never missed a, an episode of The Price is Right, you know? Like, no, like, there's got to be more. Like, how do you really want to be, be remembered? And Paul takes what he's heard from Epaphras, and, and he, he calls this young church. Now, think about this. These people have not been believers for very long. And Paul calls them holy and faithful. Wow. I think it's impressive. Holy speaks to their relationship with God. Faithful could refer to their relationships with with one another. Their ongoing commitment to live their new lives in Jesus, to to step totally away from their old lives and to embrace this new way of living in Jesus and to love one another like never before and to live in such a way that it's, it's in stark contrast to the world around them. What do we want people to say about Crosspoint? Like if this was the last service that Crosspoint ever had, how would we want to be remembered by the community around us? And Paul refers to this young church as holy and faithful. I think it's impressive. And I love what he does next. He says to them, you are of Colossae, but you are in Jesus like Colossae is just, that's just where you're from, but that's not who you are. You are of Fredericton or Marysville or wherever, but you are in Jesus. And, and I, just, I just love that. We belong to Jesus. We're, gang, this world, I, it's, it's broken. It's messed up. Like, watch the news. It's hard to watch. There's a lot going on in our country, but we're just passing through this place. This is temporary. Paul says you are of Colossae, but you are in Jesus. What, who I am in is more important than where I live or where I'm from. Even if you're like the most, even if you're lucky enough to live on Graham and Ann, <laughs> it's still more important to be in Jesus. We're just passing through, gang. This is temporal. Jesus is eternal. We are aliens to this place. We're foreigners. Uh, We don't belong here. And you're going to spend eternity with Christ. This is temporary. I don't know about you, but it's good for me to be reminded of that. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. And stuff is real. And life can be hard. And I understand that. But Jesus is king. And one day we're going to be with him. Why would Paul call a bunch of new believers who are struggling with um, the, the two pressures that they were facing. One was a pressure from outside the church to not give up their, their former, all their idol worship. And, and from outside the church, people were saying, "Okay, so you've, you've got this new Jesus thing, but it doesn't mean you got to leave all that behind. Maybe you can incorporate, you know, your, your Jesus with some of these other idols." And, and the new believers were drawing a line. They're saying, "No, that's that's wrong. That's that's the way that we used to live, but we don't live there anymore." So they were being pressured by people who were saying, "You know, why don't why don't you still do this?" And then the other pressure that they were uh, faced with was, was, was traditional uh, Jewish Judaism. You know, people saying, well, okay, if you've you got this Jesus thing, but that doesn't mean that you can't, you know, hold to all of the laws and all of the restrictions and, and worship this way and the temple worship and all of that. So they were getting it from both directions. Why would, would Paul refer to them as holy? And I think of myself and think, I'd be a little uncomfortable with that. You know, I'd be thinking, Paul, um, you obviously don't know me. Like if you're writing to me and you've never met me, and why would you call me holy? And uh, I'm gonna put this up on the screen and I, I, I misspelled it on purpose, but your holiness, it's not based on your performance. Paul calls them holy because of the atoning work of Jesus on the cross. That's why they're holy. That's why we can be referred to as holy. This is what righteousness means. Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6 says, it says this. We are all infected and impure with sin. You're born that way, right? You're born broken. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. So, righteousness or holiness is not based on my performance. Um, It means that I am washed clean by the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus. It means that when God looks at me, I'm no longer condemned. Uh, I'm not in my sin. God sees me now as his child. He sees me as forgiven in Jesus, washed clean by the blood of Jesus. I'm, I'm restored. I'm made new. I'm holy because of God's holiness, God's holy presence living inside me. And uh, the Colossians were not perfect. And I'm not perfect. Wesleyans aren't perfect. <gasps> you said what? Wesleyans, are, you're not, right? Hello, are you with me? But it's, it's the perfect work of God in us. And we'll see this unfold as we study this letter. And Paul calls them holy, and I, maybe it was encouraging to them. Maybe when they read that, they thought, wow, the apostle Paul, uh, what, what awesome words that he thinks of us as holy and faithful. And it would have been an encouragement if we're going to defeat the pressures around us, if we're going to rise above Gang, if if this group right here, if we're going to come out of this difficult season, we need to be reminded of who we are in Jesus, holy and faithful. Take your rightful place as a child of God. Uh, Claim your inheritance. Tell the enemy, not today. I am not going to be defeated. Do not mess with me. I am a blood." bought, sin forgiven, resurrected child of the king of kings. So stand in that today. I mean, when you leave here this morning... Leave as though you've been in the gym with Pierre Richard for a couple of hours, and you are pumped up, and you are fired up, and and you just cannot be defeated. Leave here this morning encouraged and receive this the way that 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 young church in uh, southern Turkey would have received this when they first heard these words from the Apostle Paul. Be encouraged. It's like they're—he's pumping their tires, and they just—you can just feel them getting strengthened and saying, "Oh man, it's good to hear that." See, when I said that in the first service, they went nuts. They lost their minds. It was—it was—it was, it was wild. Um, verses three, four, and five. We always pray for you. That's uh, probably Paul and Timothy. And we always pray for you. And we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. Um, we always pray for you, he says in verse 3. You know, some, some days you just need to know that somebody's praying for you, right? I mean, I, I'm that way. Sometimes I just get a message out of the blue and someone will say, Hey, uh, Pastor Tim, you know, God put you on my heart and I'm, I'm praying for you. And that means so much. And I hope that you have someone in your life who's praying for you. Uh, If not, be the person who's praying for someone else. Get it going. Get it started. And don't just pray for them. Do what Paul did. Tell them. Let people know that you're praying for them because we we need each other. We need to know that that other people are praying for us. Um, And then in verses 4 and 5, Paul mentions five more things that this Little church is known for. I think it's awesome. There's five more things, and he uses them. I, I think he uses them to remind them that, hey, there's a lot of good going on. You have a lot of reasons to be encouraged. I think that's the way that, that, Paul, that Paul uses it. Five more things. So here they are. He mentions their faith, their love, their hope, the truth, and the gospel. Their faith, their love, their hope, truth, and gospel. These five things are all mentioned in verses four and five. And there is an intentional progression. This isn't random. Paul starts with faith, and then he ends with the gospel. And he's taking them back to where it all began. You know, remember your lives before you met Jesus. Remember uh, what it was like before you, you, you met him. You had no hope. You were spiritually lost. You were dead, spiritually dead before Jesus they would have been uh, likely living lives deeply entrenched in idol worship and other sin that, that we don't, you know, that, that, that would have had them very far from. From God's design for their lives. And then they heard the good news about Jesus. And Jesus came into their lives and they were changed. They were transformed. And God started to work in their lives. That's when their faith started. And they started to understand, really, for the first time ever, they started to understand who the one true God is and that He sent His Son, Jesus. And there would have been people like Paul and people not very far removed from eyewitnesses of of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And they began to, to, to follow him, began to serve him, began to receive this good news about Jesus into their lives. And then they started to love one another. They started to get this this love of God downloaded deep into their lives. And uh, sometime we've got to come back to this and do a a series about this because, gang, it's that radical, ridiculous, crazy love for one another in the church and for others outside the church. This is is really what what caused the church to survive those, those first few centuries, this love for one another that was so, it was so different from anything the world had ever seen before. I mean, this is why people started to bring their, their the sick to the church. They started to bring hurting people to the church because they knew that the church would care, that the church would, would, would love like no one else would, would love. It's that Radical, ridiculous love that caused people in the community to say, "What has gotten into you guys? Like, what is that?" And it was beautiful, and it and it's how the church grew. So, I'm preaching about it, but I, I can't take the time. Like, sometime we've got to come back to that ridiculous love because that's the thing that causes the world to to see who Jesus really is. Um, well. Thanks for showing up here. We've been talking about you for like 20 minutes here. And uh, he knows. He was here in the first service. He got it all. Uh, he, was, he was down front here in the first service. So they had their faith. And then they, they got this crazy love for one another and for their community. And then they, they listened to the teachings of Jesus. How to love our neighbors and love our enemies. And they practiced it. And they saw its power. And that gave them hope. That started to fill these people with hope. And life starts to make sense when you follow Jesus. The more you learn about Jesus, the closer you get to Jesus, life will start to make sense. And existence made sense. And their lives had purpose and meaning. And they believed that one day they would either be taken out of this world to be in the presence of Jesus, or Jesus would come back. And hope filled their hearts. And hope compelled them to not give up. And their hope wasn't in a bunch of idols that were made out of wood or carved out of stone. Their hope was in the truth of the resurrected Jesus. And they had these stories from, from people like Paul and other witnesses. And they had these letters that were starting to circulate. That people were saying, I was there. I saw it. This is how it happened. And it just started to fuel their hope. This truth that they had in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So they were known as holy, they were known as faithful, they were known for their faith, they were known for their love, they were known for their hope, and the truth, and the gospel message that they had believed. They had a lot of reasons to be encouraged. We're only a few verses into this this book, and I'm encouraged, and you should be encouraged. And I don't think that it's coincidence that God said uh, to us, let's let's do a deep dive in Colossians in the winter of 2022. Let's get really into this and let's get our focus off. I say off. I mean, I know it's hard to ignore life. Life is life and it's all around us. We're in it. We're doing it. But to to really put this in the crock pot this winter of 2022, we're just going to get our focus on Jesus because we're going to come out of this. We're going to come out of this pandemic. We're going to come out of this winter. We're going to come out of whatever season you're in. We're going to come out of this. And we're not going to, we're not going to limp out of this. We're going to come running out of this. We're going to come flying out of this with, with, with passion and fire for who for who Jesus is. So a few reminders here. Who, who or what, how do you want to be known? What do, you want to, what do you want your life to be known for? To be really known for? What do you want? And you get you can choose, right? You get to choose. Who are you becoming? What is God? What is God doing in you in this season? What is God speaking to you and saying to you? How is He forming you? Because who you are becoming is more important than what you are enduring. Let's pray. God, I thank you again this morning for your love for us, the way that you lead us. uh, I just feel again, Lord, a, a great sense, a strong sense that you've brought us to this book of Colossians. This is all your time and you're in this. And there's, there's a work here that you want to do and I pray that we don't miss it. I pray that we press into this, this little book, that we just get our, 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 our noses into this book. We just keep reading it over and over and uh, as Pastor John said earlier, we just turn over our hands and open our palms and say, Lord, whatever you want to take from me, you can take and whatever you want to Whatever you want to bring to me, I will receive. Um, that we just face this, this season with hearts of surrender. We get hungry for you. That, that we see this as a season of preparation. We're not stuck. Um, we're not defeated. But, but Christ is alive and you are the king and you're on your throne. And so, God, I just pray that you would uh, encourage us today with these words. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.